When I was a kid, I was obsessed with Fraggle Rock, the TV series Jim Henson created with the noble intention of creating world peace. When it went off the air on Irish television, I wrote to the national broadcaster demanding it be put back on. I was seven. Around that time, there was an international travelling exhibition called Jim Henson's Muppets, Monsters and Magic. One of its stops was Kilmainham Jail in Dublin. It had puppets from The Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Labyrinth, The Dark Crystal and, of course, Fraggle Rock. I remember standing in awe in front of the costume for Junior Gorg, the self-proclaimed prince who was always trying to catch the Fraggles. They won't get into my garden or my name's not Junior. <laughs> what? You fellow! Oh, missed. I thought that was about as close as Fraggle Rock would ever come to Dublin. I was so wrong. There was a huge Irish connection that I just didn't know about because the internet wasn't around yet for me to obsessively find out about these things. So you remember the only human character in Fraggle Rock, right? Doc, the inventor, and his dog Sprocket. Ah, I see you're interested in my purchase. All right, Sprocket. Here we are, cutter pins and number 12 sheet metal screws. Ah, oh, you were waiting for the resin super glue, weren't you? Huh? Oh, but that's really all I have, the cutter pins and screws and the glue. And a couple of donuts. Manners, manners, broken manners. Doc was played by an actor named Jerry Parks. And Jerry, as it turns out, was born in Dublin. I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your maker. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <clears throat> meet your maker. It's 1924 in Ireland. Dublin Corporation renames Sackville Street to O'Connell Street. Juno and the Paycock opens in the Abbey Theatre. And Gerard Parks was born. They were all reared in the Ivy Trust in Patrick Street. Their father was a Post and Telegraphs inspector at the time. That's Angie Kenny Nee Parks. Jerry Parks was her granduncle. I think they moved to Cabra for a while and then they moved back in. And then they lived in the Ivy Trust in Kevin Street, New Bride Street there beside the Garda station there. So they sort of stayed around that area for the rest of, well, obviously until Jerry, I'd say, moved over to Canada. But they all still lived there for their lifetime. He, he was my mother's brother and I was named after That's Gerard Walsh, Jerry's nephew. What I remember of, of him is as a child, and here's one for you, and going back into the annals of, of history and, and technology, I don't know whether you remember Harry Moore's shop on Dawson Street for more years than you care to remember is the ad. Harry Moore had a, a television shop where he rented out televisions to Ivy Trust flats. The Ivy Trust was a provider of affordable housing in Dublin set up by the Guinness family. And there was a communal area on top of the, the, the block of flats in, in Kevin Street which is where Jared was from. Well, he was from Royal Street originally. His father was a sergeant in the British Army and went through World War I, had done five years out in France, survived the Somme. And Jared came from a big family. He had four brothers and sisters, four brothers and four sisters. 
Jerry got his start in acting in what was called a fit-up. It was a model of touring theatre around the country. At one stage, there would have been over 60 different theatre companies travelling around Ireland putting on plays. Jerry also trained in the Abbey Theatre in Dublin, the National Theatre of Ireland. Then, in his early 30s, Jerry emigrated to Canada, where he was successful in getting roles in TV and film. His first film role was in 1964. It was a short titled David Thompson, The Great Map Maker, the true story of a man who, over the course of his lifetime, mapped a million and a half square miles of uncharted territory. In it, Jerry played a Scottish explorer. With the XY competing in the West, as well as the Hudson's Bay Company, the pressure's on for certain. And who knows when the Americans are going to put their tuppence worth in. I tell you, boys, we need the trade on the other side of those mountains, and we need it bad. We're going to find that river and pepper it from one end to the other with Northwest Company posts. Throughout the 60s, Jerry appeared on many TV shows with a recurring character as a pilot on the Canadian family show The Forest Rangers. Back in those days, you had two channels, if you, if you were looking, and it was all black and white. And beamed into our living room was Gerard Parks flying airplanes and what have you from the Forest Rangers. How long will it take you to get to the International Airport? With this wind, about three hours. We'll allow an hour for coffee and grub at Indian River. Uh, couldn't you couldn't you make it a direct flight? No, sir. Wouldn't want to disappoint the kids. So that was the uncle that I grew up with watching on the telly. I suppose these were programs that for the day certainly were inspirational to, to, to people in Canada, never mind in, in Ireland. When, when that uncle came home, he was the film star, the chap who done all this, you know. He couldn't fly a plane. He could, he could on television. <laughs> and he'd come home with the cine camera and, and we have video, oh, video, it is video now. We have digital cine film of ourselves in Patrick's Park and Dublin Zoo when he came home and cloud us all into the back of a, an Anglia as far as I remember he heard at the time. And, and again, he was always the... Because it was an uncle that we didn't see every week, we always only saw the good holiday times of him. Jonathan Miller, the, the actor, director, uh, Dudley Moore, what have you. For some reason in the 60s that I recall, Jared was asked by Miller to come back to England to do something on BBC with him. And I suppose I probably would have been 10. This would have been after our video of Dublin Zoo. He, he was back with Miller in the UK, and then he came back here. Gerard's brothers, one of them was uh, played trumpet. He had his own orchestra out in the Juries, jazz band as well. And so he would have been meeting the, the great and the good of our, our celebrity society. Um, <laughs> so again, it, it wouldn't be rare to have people in my grandfather's house coming up and sing songs and what have you. It was, it was their generational thing that everybody sat around and done that party piece. Jerry continued to have success across theatre, TV and film. He won the first Canadian Film Award, now known as the Gemini, for his portrayal of Uncle Matthew in the film Isabel. He wants to rent some land to... How do you suppose... Of course, I don't know the fella, so I said no. Well, good. 
Well, good night. Good night. You know, we were growing up, we were told Jerry was an actor, you know, and he lived in Canada. So he's this exotic sort of great uncle to have, you know, and when he'd come home sort of once or, you know, they didn't travel as much then, you know, they didn't have Skypes or anything like that. So, you know, they kept in touch as best they probably could. But, you know, when you come home, there'd always be a family gathering in one of the sisters' houses. You know, he was this actor that I never seen him in anything. So I didn't really take heed, I think, until Fraggle Rock, until it sort of had some sort of a momentum for me. In 1983, Jerry was cast as Doc, the eccentric inventor who had a dog named Sprocket. He was the only human character in Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, and the first person you see in every episode as the camera pushes through the workshop window. You know, when I, when I was sort of... Because, I mean, I was, I was only born in 1969, so I sort of was of the era of Fraggle Rock. So Granny and Grandad used to come out to babysit us on a Saturday night. It was always on. My granddad was in the image of Jerry. So like, he used to be like, what do you there's there? He looks like Grandad, you know. Sort of, sort of. It was bizarre looking at this guy on the television, you know. Fraggle Rock. By the time we did Fraggle Rock, I had been a part of Jim's company for, I guess, about five years. That's puppeteer and performer Steve Whitmire. He took on the role of Kermit the Frog after Jim Henson died. But at this time, he was about to start playing Wembley Fraggle and Jerry's trusty canine companion on the show, Sprocket. Sprocket being this dog was was fun for me. I, I always enjoyed doing characters that were animals. And the reason I enjoyed it is because... I enjoyed giving this inanimate puppet this sort of organic existence, you know, not just bringing it to life, but bringing it to life in a real way that felt like what a dog might actually do. And Sprocket was from the beginning always meant to be basically a lot like a real dog, only he had to express himself. And so he never actually spoke English in the whole show, you know. Come here, Sprocket, I need your help. I mean, I was a little uh, intimidated by it, to tell you the truth, because I was accustomed to doing characters who just said what they felt, and then they did things. Suddenly, it was, it was almost getting back to doing kind of a pantomime thing, where I had to try to get the point across of what this character was trying to express with no words. You can do a lot of that, but, but, but we were actually doing some pretty complex little stories with Doc and Sprocket. <laughs> One word? How many letters? Oh, Oh, come on. Oh, sounds like... Sybil Finney. No, no. Choke, choke. No, uh... Cough, cough. Well, I'm trying, Sprocky. Don't start getting your fur in the frazzle. What did I say? What did I say? So we had all gone to Toronto, and we knew what characters we were going to be doing. I had tried on the puppet and, and basically done no real rehearsal with it. And Jim being Jim and, and wanting to start this off in a good way, arranged for a dinner with Jerry. I think it was my wife, Melissa, and myself, and Jerry and whoever he was with at the moment. I don't know whether that was his future wife or not, frankly. Uh, I don't remember. A very sweet lady. And Jim. Uh, and I think it was just the five of us, maybe, at the Four Seasons Hotel in, in Toronto. 
and we had this dinner and I met Jerry for the first time. And obviously I was much younger than Jerry. I was a, you know, 23 year old guy with no real acting experience, except what I'd done with Jim, but ready to charge into it. And Jerry was this incredibly seasoned veteran, highly respected actor, particularly in, in Canada. He had just come off of a series called Home Fires. And I think that might have, we started Fraggle in 83. And I think that was the last, he had just finished Home Fires. So he really went straight into Fraggle Rock, it seems. And we had just had this terrific dinner of getting to know each other. And from the moment I met him, he was very gracious and, you know, just, just an incredibly approachable person. And as I say, quite a well-known star in his own right. I think he, I, I can only imagine how he must have seen me uh, as this 23-year-old kid, you know. But we, we hit it off immediately and we found a great way of working together. Shortly after that, in fact, I think it might have been the next day we actually began rehearsing together for the first time. At that point, the Doc and Sprocket set, the classic set that you saw them in, had not been built. So we were rehearsing basically in order for Jerry to get accustomed to what it felt like. You know, all of our sets were built up high off the ground so the puppeteers could stand as we worked rather than sit. And so Jerry would, have, would be on a platform that was about three to four feet off the ground and I would be reaching above my head to do Sprocket. So we actually set up a little scenario like that in a, in a soundstage. And I kept thinking, well, you know, this is going to be great. I mean, I, I don't have any lines I have to learn and I just have to know what Sprocket's trying to intend. And this is, this is going to be easy, you know, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a getting started thing. And from the very first moment that Jerry turned and spoke to Sprocket and Sprocket tried to express some emotion back to him, I realized it was impossible for Jerry to know what I was expressing. You know, how were we going to play off each other? And I thought, I think I'm in really big trouble here. So we kept trying and Jim was, Jim Henson was standing next to me while I'm doing it. And he would, he would say, well, try this, try that. And I would try things. And he kind of let me feel into it. And what I realized then and went on to realize even more and more is that the only reason Sprocket was able to communicate with the audience was because the entire weight of what we were trying to convey was on Jerry Parks. Because not only did he have to know his lines and what he was trying to do, he had to already know what Sprocket was going to say back to him. Which I think most actors do that anyway, but we had to really find the place where he could play off of this puppet character. It was an interesting little journey. You know, I put it somewhere completely safe, but I can't think where. Well, it's not as bad as that, old boy. You know, but still, it's going to be tough coming up with that money again. Oh, oh that's a nasty bump you've got there, Sprocket. How did you get that? Huh? Oh, stuff to remember. The rent money, Sprocket, you've found it. Oh, I'm going to go to the landlord with this right away. Oh, thank you, Sprocket. He was always joking around. He always was being fun. We had a lot of laughs on the set. He would, he, he didn't mind acting silly. And yet he had quite a serious thing. Again, he had, a, he had a lot of dialogue to learn. Sometimes he would not, I, I remember him, uh, you know, sort of slightly complaining a couple of times because his dialogue would get changed at the last minute. He had memorized it all. He'd walk in, they'd give him some new pages and he would be a little bit intimidated by that. He rehearsed, he knew his performance and he needed to know my performance. You know, what I was going to try to convey and so I can only imagine, I mean, I didn't have that problem with Sprocket. No last minute changes that 
affected my ability to get through it. Plus, by the way, I don't know whether you know this, but we always had the option when we were performing puppet characters of having our dialogue right in front of us as we work. So you forget a line, you can look at it while you're saying, you know, you can read. Uh, so I always tried to memorize most of what Sprocket did because Sprocket didn't have words. I, what I couldn't do with Sprocket that was different from what I was accustomed to was read lines because I had to, I, I'm running the puppet and rather than reading a line of dialogue, it, it didn't work if I read a stage direction and, and Sprocket was mostly written as stage directions. Sprocket then does this. Well, I, I had to memorize that because that wasn't going to work. So it really became, it's interesting about the chemistry because it had to become that we were playing out of chemistry because Sprocket was mostly improvised. Uh, I, I knew what I needed to convey to the audience and those were the important points, but the rest of it was finding the balance between what a real dog might do versus how to convey sort of these human emotions. And Jerry just was always there to support that. And, and frankly, we, we never knew each other as close personal friends off camera. Our contact and our working together was the way we knew each other. We didn't go out to dinners all the time. And, and it was the same way with the other performers. You know, most of them, we worked in the studio. We all knew each other and we loved each other and respected each other and, and were very close, but it centered around this work and it always did. Steve was also assisted operating Sprocket by another puppeteer, Karen Prell. And Karen was also the performer of a character called Red Fraggle, who was one of the main characters. But Karen and I worked together consistently as a team. We never, you know, I never switched off to anyone else doing this. It was always Karen. That was another example of a great chemistry that also tied in with Jerry. And she would do the right paw of Sprocket while I did the head and the left. And she also did Sprocket's tail, which was a separate element uh, that she held behind Sprocket and Wagner moved. So you've got Karen and I in this trench in the floor. And if Doc has to move along with Sprocket, then Jerry has logistically has to be very careful. He could very easily step it because he can't look down at the floor. He's got to look where he's going like, as though there's no hole in the floor. You know, so, so there, was, there was some element of danger there. And we never had an accident not with Jerry. We had a couple accidents with crew people where they fell through holes in the floor. Now, they were only falling about three or four feet, but you could hurt yourself falling three or four feet, you know. <laughs> so logistics were probably, and, and the other part that I know must have been tough on Jerry, when we're doing our characters, you know, the one of the most important things about the Muppets is that their eyes focus. They, they don't have eyes that look in weird directions. They focus directly on whatever they're looking at, including the camera so that they really make eye contact like people do. And so when I was playing Sprocket alongside Jerry, Sprocket would turn to Jerry, but normally we wouldn't quite make eye contact. I mean, I, I didn't know that because I'm looking at a television screen down below. So I might be cheating the eye line. So Jerry's actually playing with a character who's not making eye contact with him, which means unlike he would do with a live actor, he would be looking right in their eyes when he's talking to them. He had to make it seem as though that's what was happening throughout the whole process. So it's quite a little bit different than what he might've been accustomed to. <laughs> I, 
And unfortunately, we are unable to consider your freeze-dried erasers paper for publication. We do not have a joke page. Sincerely, Professor Fly, Secretary, Inventors Monthly. Well, that can go on the circular file with this postcard to go bow Fraggle. That's the 17th... Fraggle Rock was a big hit. It ran from 1983 to 1987, and it was shown in 95 countries across the world. Everybody wanted a piece of Jerry when he came home, do you know. You know, we had a huge family, as I said, there was eight, eight of them. There was things was four brothers and four sisters. Then you had all of their children and their grandchildren. When their children were grown up, they were watching their uncle, who was Doc, the, you know, the inventor in Braggle Rock. And when he came home here to Ireland, when they were children, uh, we would, I can remember one occasion we had we was, um, the Bankers pub down in, in town. We hired a, a great entertainer, wouldn't be for the first time we heard him, called The Magic Man. He's a children's entertainer doing clowning and joking and all that sort of balloons and everything. And the kids loved him, but again, it was as much at the back of the room was Doc. And they all knew it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I don't say, I wouldn't say that he played the part of Doc. He, he just was Doc, nearly, to them. And what I remember of him at growing up was, again, maybe it was the family that we came from as well. That his father was uh, involved in the trade union movement, and that was passed on to his sisters who were all feminists. And I, I grew up in a family where children were encouraged to, to sit at the table and have a conversation with the adults so that they could learn how to be adults. And certainly, um, he didn't. He never talked down to us as children, or, or we never felt patronised by it. If that makes sense, he was talking to you on, on your level, and I saw that still when, when he was talking to my children, if that makes sense, and then the youngest of our children, um, even later in life, and he just he, he had a time for everyone. Depending on what country you were watching Fraggle Rock in, the segments with Doc and Sprocket were reshot and localized. So if you grew up watching Fraggle Rock in England, you wouldn't have seen Jerry Parks as Doc at all. You would have seen Fulton McKay playing the captain, a Scottish lighthouse keeper and his dog Sprocket. You know, Sprocket, I think I'll get us a dinghy. During the summer, we could take trips across the bay. No, 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 no. You would, Sprocket, you would love it. I grew up watching Fraggle Rock in Ireland, and I can confirm that Jerry, fittingly, was the doc we had on our television screens. We did, in fact, do this different with different people all over the world. I only did one other co-production one time, and then Sprocket actually was done by an, an alternate performer because we were shooting simultaneously and I couldn't be in the other countries. But it was interesting because playing opposite someone different, and especially, and in this case, it was the German co-production, and the actor, we were basically duplicating exactly what we had done in Toronto with Jerry, but trying to do it with another actor. And it was completely different. And plus, there was, I didn't speak German, so it was very, very hard, you know, to duplicate. <laughs> you know, even though I think he spent so much of his life away from Ireland, he still had a bit of the of the the sound in his voice of what what you know not an accent to you but an accent to me. It was charming. It was a part of him, but also a part of Doc in a way. You know the way he played that character was just like your favorite uncle or grandfather. You know he was he was so lovable and he cared so much about his dog. You know in this case and Sprocket, it was a perfect way for Sprocket to play so frustrated because as you may remember Sprocket was the only 
character who saw the Fraggles. Doc didn't see them until the very last episode, which, by the way, is an amazing episode. The final episode, Change of Address, sees Doc and Sprocket moving to the desert to be near their friend Ned Schimmelfinney, who had to move to the desert for his health. Doc finally knows about the Fraggles and asks Gobo Fraggle to come along with them, but Gobo decides to stay. Doc and Sprocket move into their new place. You know, Sprocket, meeting that Fraggle made me feel different. If little furry creatures can live behind the walls, why, that's magical. And then anything is possible. Think of it. Maybe you're magic. Maybe I'm magic. Maybe Ned and Fluffinella are magic. Maybe the whole world and then Sprocket. If we wanted there to be a fraggle hole behind that cardboard box. Well, who knows? It was a very touching time and part of part of the whole emotion that went into it was the emotion that all of us were feeling about the show ending. But it was also the particular group of people at the particular time in history. Everything fell into place, and it was a, a hugely collaborative effort, not only between the writers and producers and performers, but with the crew and, and every single person there in the Muppet Workshop who built the characters. And, you know, if we would bring a script onto the floor and start doing something, and if it was the least bit out of character, the, the person doing, you know, the lighting might say, that's out of character, and we would all take that into account. You know, it was extremely collaborative in that way. And of course, Jerry was a major part of that. Back in Fraggle Rock, the Fraggles begin heading home until they discover a new tunnel they hadn't seen before. They go exploring only to discover it leads them to Doc and Sprocket's new home. As Gobo says, you cannot leave the magic. Hi. Uh, I have a message for you. From the trashy. The trashy? She's our oracle. Nor of all our wisdom. She said, I should tell you, you cannot leave the magic. Oh, thank you, Gobo. As a matter of fact, Sprocket and I just discovered that. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Sprocket! <laughs> Jerry continued to work across theatre, television and film for another two decades, appearing in films like Short Circuit and The Boondock Saints. But to children across the world, he'll always be remembered as Doc. Down 
down at Fragger Rock. <laughs> Meet Your Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music in today's show was by Blue Dot Sessions. My thanks to Angie Kenny, Gerard Walsh and Steve Whitmire. You may have heard there is a reboot of Fraggle Rock on Apple TV. It's called Fraggle Rock Back to the Rock. And yes, Doc and Sprocket return with Doc being played by the brilliant Lily Cooper, who coincidentally has a dog named Dublin. Down at Fraggle Rock. <laughs>